Hey everybody, welcome back to the season finale of Discover Spring Forge. When I first moved to this area, I wanted to not just be a transplant. I wanted it to feel like it was my hometown. And one of the ways I wanted to do that was to find out the history of Spring City and Royers Ford. And today, we get to do that with the president of Springford Area Historical Society, William Bruner. I'm Jeff Desiato, a local realtor, aspiring actor, and transplant to the Springford area. And I'm on a mission to find the best that Springford has to offer. I'll be interviewing local business owners, civil servants, and other prominent members of the community to find out what makes Springford a great place to live, work, eat, and explore. I invite you to join me on my journey as I discover Springford. Let's take a look yeah. at these pictures and sure. I'm going to give you a little bit of history of the, the two towns. On the left is Spring City. Both of these maps are from 1893. Spring City really got its start with the canal. The canal opened in 1824 and that really was the beginning there were two brothers that owned farms, the Royers brothers, Benjamin and David. Benjamin's house was down where the flag house is now. Mm. And David's was up on Bridge Street in, in, uh, in back at a funeral home up there. And the house is gone now. But he lived up there. And they had a ford. And they took people across the river, a couple cents to go across that little flatbed boat. And they took people uh, across the river. The canal, like I said, was 1824. In 1835, we had the first store that opened up in Spring City, and it was on the canal. And it was opened up primarily to do business with the canal boats that were yeah. coming through. And James Rogers built that. Then the industries in 1843, the stove company, Rogers Foundry, Spring City Electrical Manufacturing is what's there today. Mm -hmm. They opened up and they made cast iron stoves. And the big, I mean, I should have a pointer. Up, <laughs> up there, there's an industry, that's the paper mill. That opened in 1847, up on the right top. Both of those industries were major industries, and they both operated from the canal. Raw materials from the canal, finished products out on the canal. Now... So Spring City was here and developed first. Houses started to be built. And then in 1839, just 15 yeah. years later, <laughs> on the Royers Ford <clears throat> side of the river, the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad opened up. And the railroad still runs today in yeah. Norfolk Southern. That railroad opened up. And when that opened up, that was the beginning for Royers Ford because the railroad was the opportunity for businesses to develop, and, and they did. And uh, the first major business to develop in Roarsford was the uh, stove, uh, Buckwalter Stove Works, although it wasn't Buckwalter officially at that time, but in, in 1865, they started out, they were making cherry pickers and treadmills and whatnot, and they were leasing a building down on First Avenue, and then they built the big Buckwalter uh, stove works and uh, by 1890 it was completely owned by Buckwalter. It went on to become the largest stove foundry in the town and the largest industry. They had 1,200 people working there. Wow. Today there's two buildings left out of the massive complex that was a Buckwalter stove works. Those buildings, if you go down 
to the station yeah. where, where the pink moose is now, yeah. turn right, go back Railroad Avenue. That's Lewis Environmental. They opened up in 2002, and they, they got the last two buildings that was left. Matter of fact, Buckwater is still on the side of the one building, oh, really? if you go down there. But uh, that's a, a new industry for Roars Ford. Roars Ford lost a lot of industry uh, the, right. the, between 1st and 2nd Avenue down there. Uh, you, you have all the new apartments, and that was all that, that was the industrial section of Roars Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do have one other industry to point out, and that's the Spring Company, and that's right there. Uh, before you uh, go across the bridge at the bottom of the hill, be on your left at the traffic light. At the right. bo- that industry opened up in 1896 as Fritz Krauss Hosiery. Two years later, the hosiery mill went bankrupt, and uh, France J- Joseph Meyer came up and purchased the building and opened up the Bed Spring Company. So that <laughs> business has been in operation since 1898. It's still active today? It's still active, oh, wow. yeah, Claghorn. Two, two generations of Claghorn and three of the Meyer family. So it's been in the same uh, five generations, two different families, but it's still still in operation today. Wow. So uh, that's the longest industry in Aurora's Ford. Jumping over to Spring City, the industry in Spring City today is called Spring City Electrical Manufacturing. That started out in 1843, as a stove founder, James Rogers built it, and that went through several name changes. You know, uh, uh, Chanson Keeley, Jaeger, Hunter. But the bottom line is they're still manufacturing cast iron products since 1843. Now the stove industry went out in the 30s, and then they were making cast iron pieces for uh, big uh, movie projectors, and it's it's. Evolved and now it's making lamp posts. But the lamp posts that they make uh, are all over. I mean, not just people see them in Spring City, Roarsport, and Phoenixville. Go to Disney World, go to this lot of colleges. I mean, they're shipped all over the world. So the little industry that started in 1843 uh, is still there. And the process is still the same. You, you take molten iron and you pour it into a, a sand mold. The only difference is that now the heat for the current foundry mm. is supplied by electric. Where before, yeah. you know, but that's the only difference. It's still if you're baking a pie, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're using a bake oven or or your, your oven at home. You're you put the ingredients in and you're making the pie. Yeah, you're making the cast iron product the same way you did in 1843. Right. Wow. So yeah, the, the the heritage of these two towns. They each had three stove foundries. They each had two glass factories. They had multiple textile industries, both hosiery and knitting. Mm. And if you got time, I'd love to tell you the yeah. story about Ira Gruber. But <laughs> let's let's just take a look back sure. here real quick. We talked about the glass factories. We talked about the the stove factories. Yep. And the other industry that was in both towns was the textile industry. Now the textile encompasses hosiery and knitting, two different, but it all comes under one heading. That particular type of manufacturing came on later, when I say later, 1900 and beyond coming forward. The stove factories and the glass factories were here before that. The stove factory was your primary industries 
glass was second, and then third was a textile. Now, the thing about a textile industry, and, and knitting in particular, is it doesn't take the amount of capital, money, to start one of these industries. If you're going to start a stove works or you're going to start a glass factory, you need a lot of money. You can start a knitting company with a knitting machine and a sewing machine, okay? Now, they had in Spring City, down on uh, Bridge Street, Century Knitting, or National Knitting, it was a knitting company down there. In 1900, Ira Gruber was working on a farm next to his father's house. The, the, the Gruber family, there was like 12 children and it wasn't uncommon for them to have one of their sons or two of their sons or daughters working for somebody else because the family was just so big they couldn't have them all on their own farm. And he was working on a neighbor's farm and in the 1900 census, he wasn't even listed as living in home. He was living with the farmer next door working the fields. And that year at Thanksgiving time, instead of going to home, he had a sister that lived in Spring City and he was going to go visit his sister for the three-day weekend and stay with her and her husband. So he came that 1900, he came down here to Spring City, and on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, he decided he was going to go off with his uh, brother-in-law off to work. So he went with the brother-in-law, and the brother-in-law worked at a little shop right next to the knitting company on Bridge Street, and he wandered around, and then he got bored, and he wandered into the knitting company, and he's walking around the knitting company, and he goes down into the basement, and the people down there in the basement were, were building wooden uh, flats, skids. They are building skids. And he stood there, and he's watching them, and the boss comes up, and he says, don't stand there, son. Pick up a hammer. Get, get working. And he was, only, he was just visiting. And, and the young farm boy picked up a hammer, and he started making skids. And he was there, and after lunch, the, the, the boss came by. He says, well, you're really a worker. He said, look at all that big stack that you made. He said, you're doing good. He says, and he says, when did you start here? And he said, oh, he says, I don't work here. He says, I'm just visiting. <laughs> and he says, well, wh where do you work? He says, oh, I work on a farm up, up above Boyertown. He said, well, you don't work there no more. He says, you, you, you work here. You're going to work here. So he went home that night, told his sister, he says, I, I want to stay with you for a while. I got a job. And he went on, on Saturday, went back up uh, and uh, went up and got his clothes and got all the stuff and, and told the farmer up there, I got a job, I'm, I'm leaving, come down to Spring City. He worked there for those people for four years. And during that four years, they told him, you're a young boy, you're only in your teens, you don't need all this money, you're living with your sister, we're going to put half of your salary away for you so when you get married you'll have a nest egg. So he's half of his money is being taken away. <laughs> so he's there working. He learned not only to do skids, he went up and he learned to do the knitting, he worked in the office, he placed orders. In the four years that he was there he learned the entire operation of that knitting company and he did a little bit of everything. And at the end of the four years he meets a young girl in Spring City, and they decide to get married, and they want to get a, an apartment or a house. They want to get their own place to live. And 
He goes into the boss and he says to the boss, he said, look, I'm getting married. I need my money. And they stiffed him. They said, what money? Oh, we, don't, we, we don't have no money for you. And he just tore out of the place and he realized that they cheated him. That yeah. they took. That the, so he went around town in Spring City and he found the grocery store, I believe it was the, the Witt Brothers grocery store down Spring City, went in there and he told him, look, he says, I know how to run a knitting business. I'll build a knitting business. I'll build it from ground up if you loan me five hundred dollars. Uh, you know, nineteen oh four, nineteen oh five, a lot of money. But they said, We'll be partners, we'll loan you the money. You you run it, we'll loan you the money. So he borrowed the money from them. He bought one knitting machine, one sewing machine, and the Abel Wainwright's grist mill, which is down in South Maine, the building's still there. It's sitting empty. He leased it, put his two machines in there. He hired a woman, and he started making underwear, knitting machine. And somebody said to him, said, you're never going to make a go of it. What are you going to do? You can only make one size. He <laughs> says, yeah, but he says, I know who I can sell it to up in New York. He says, and I know that the size that I sell them will be half as much as what they're paying the, the National Century Knitting, it'll be half as much, he says, and they'll buy it from me just because I'll be cheaper. Well, that's how he got started. And in 1910, he had paid back the DeWitt brothers, their $500. They were out. I don't know if he paid them extra to get out, but right. they were out of the business. He had his own business, and he built... Spring City Knitting, which a lot of people call it Gruber Knitting. He built that in 1910. That was the new building. In 1907, he operated out of the old grist mill. But he built that, and that was the new building. Wow. And that business, Spring City Knitting, uh, went, now the, uh, right next to it is the, the needleworks. That was an industry here in Norris Ford that made needles for the knitting industry. Uh, Gruber's, Ira, ended up passing over the business to his son Edward, and by 19, in the 1960s, Spring City Knitting was the largest underwear manufacturer in the United States. They had 16 factories. Oh my goodness. 16, <laughs> 16 factories, it all started with a Pennsylvania Dutch farm boy that got cheated out of four years' wages. And well, two years, half of half of four years' wages, started his own company. Wow! There were a lot of knitting companies that started out that way with just a couple of machines, and there were a lot of knitting companies that opened up and closed up. You know, that yeah. it, it was because because you could get in so cheap, you could get in and out and and go closed. But there was right. there was a lot of knitting companies. Uh, Fritz and Krauss, down in Norris Ford, built the building in 1896 where the Bedspring Company is. Two years later, they went bankrupt and they sold the building. But instead of going out of business, the guy that put the Bedspring Company in, Meyer, he rented them the third floor. They moved their knitting business to the third floor. So they couldn't afford the building that they built, but they were able to keep in business by renting the third floor. Oh, how about that? Yeah. 
So, and that was that was one of those things where I told everybody that Fritz and Krauss sold their building in 1890, 1898, and they went out of business. But then I saw a newspaper clipping from a Pottstown paper in 1911 where Fritz and Krauss went out of business. And I went, how could they go out of business in 1911 when they sold their building in, in 1898? But what I didn't know was they moved to the third floor. But in the article about them closing, it had it in. Oh, wow. So, you know, a, a lot of people that write about history and write stuff, they'll write what other people have written. So if you say something wrong, chances are it's, it's going to be wrong. In that case, 1898, I assume that since they sold the building and they went bankrupt, that they went out of business. That was not the case. Yeah. They, they moved to the third floor. I've been told things uh, in, in the last 30 years that turned out to be incorrect. Yeah. And uh, some of the things that I was told, uh, I repeated and didn't learn until later. Yeah. What, what the true story was. Do, yeah, for more digging, right? Like, you just keep digging, you keep well, finding I, new I information started, and stuff. I started collecting postcards over 30 years ago. And I worked very closely with Lawrence Shainer, the town historian. He collected postcards. That's what got me into mm-hmm. being interested in the history of the towns. And uh, he had told me, for example, just for an example, we have a bunch of postcards from World War One Victory Parade, and you've got flags and bunnings, and the whole town is decorated, and they're having a parade. And he told me these are World War One Victory Parades. And then one of the pictures, of postcards that we have is the stores where George's Music is today, down at the bottom of, mm-hmm. of New Street. And the building is all draped out. And he said, yeah, that, that's one of them. That was fixed up for the World War One Victory Parade. But then... Ten years later, uh, and it was it was after he died, I bought a postcard on eBay from a lady in Massachusetts, that particular postcard, because I didn't have it. Yeah. And when I turned it over in the back, it was postmarked 1914. Uh, the old wheel started turning. I said, well, that's before World War One. Yeah. That that postcard is not World War One. What is that postcard? The Junior Order of American Mechanics, which met down at the Masonic Lodge, that was their they were their building. They built the the lodge. Uh, they had a Pennsylvania State Convention in Spring City that year, and they had like oh, I guess over a thousand people came to Spring City to celebrate that day, and that's why the buildings were all decked out and you know so that postcard and that picture was not world war one I. I told people that for years oh wow <laughs> it happened yeah it happens the archives of Royce ford which is a book that was published by milton lewin and he had he hired a guy to write it but he mm-hmm. gave it out when they reopened the shoe store that book the archives of Royce ford is the bible of old history of Royce ford and yet when we get to uh, the the third page or fourth page in the book, he tells you about the Roars brothers living in Spring City, and he tells you about the Ford, and he tells you about David Roar lived in the Paper Mill ha- Mansion house, and that's impossible because the Paper Mill Mansion was built in 1847 and David died in 1830. Oh wow! Uh, the house was built 17 years after he died, 
So that was a mistake. Vicinity would have been correct. Yeah. Naming the specific house was wrong. Yeah. Sometimes when you get very specific in your talking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you get in trouble. Right. <laughs> and uh, I had put a thing on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and I said about how the, the train station opened in 1932, and that's correct. Yeah. But somebody said it was built in 1931, and that is correct. It was built in 1931. The grand opening was held in 19, April of 32. So, you know, and I, to me, the story, the story is far more important than whether it was 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Right. or whether it was the third or the fourth. You know, tell me the story. I yeah. love to hear the story. Yeah. And then we can look up the dates and get them, get them exact. Yeah, know? exactly right. This cobbler shop was built by John uh, Milton Lewin and his father. Uh, and it was built in 1875 and it sat out front. It was Roar Sports' first shoe store. Now, John Milton was the oldest son of William. William and Rebecca built the house and lived here. And he <coughs> went, John Milton went to the Hobson School, which is out where the Superior Credit Union there on the oh, corner. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. where the Hobson School was. Oh, really? And he graduated and uh, he graduated in 1873 and he came back home and he wanted to go to college but his uh, his father said that was a waste of time and he sent him off with a fellow by the name of John Bean to become a shoemaker to, to be an apprentice to learn how to make shoes so John Milton served his apprenticeship for two years came back here and he and his dad built this 12-foot square building and it was sitting right out in front of the house right along the street oh. now he did not he could make shoes but he brought them in on the railroad <laughs> sold them and he repaired shoes so this is more like a shoe repair shop and he worked in this shop here on the property for about nine years and then he built a new store downtown and they literally put this on logs and rolled it up and <laughs> sat it here so this building is not part of the original house the house was built in 1861. This was built in 1875. When they put it here, his mom, Rebecca, used it as a wash room. In the winter, she did her wash. Now in the summer, she did it outside. This is a washing machine that's very similar to what she used at the time when she was doing her own wash. And uh, so it was a washroom. When we purchased it, when we purchased the property in uh, 2000, they had just filled this up with, with junk. But because yeah. the, 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 uh, the house stayed in the family for five generations, and we purchased it uh, from a Thelma Grieby, who was a fifth generation of the Lewin family, uh, a lot of the records were on the third floor. Some of the old shoes, these women's shoes in this cabinet here, are actually shoes that were sold here in the shop. When you came in to see him, he would give you a catalog. And then he had an inventory that he would look at, and he could tell if he had those shoes up on the third floor, he'd, he, the, the shop was out front. He'd yeah. have to come over to the main house and go up to the third floor. <laughs> but that was, that, that was the way he did the, did the business. Uh, we restored this back to... 
a, a cobbler shop. So the building is authentic. The bench, that what I call the cobbler shop bench, that's that's not uh, from a cobbler shop. Right. Actually, what that's from is a pile of trash that was sitting out <laughs> along the road. And I came by and I said, "Oh my God, we need a cobbler shop bench." And it, it, you know, it really looks looks nice. It's got these holes in it and everything. But the building, the building is authentic. The glass. The one glass got broken, the other is original, oh, okay. but I mean, th this is an authentic 1875 this is great. Uh, cobbler shop, okay, so that, that I could tell you. Um, one other interesting thing, the calendar that hangs <coughs> on the wall is 1899, and uh, jo John Milton Lewin, after he moved downtown, he sold that business, and he worked his way up in the business world to become part owner, one-third owner of Grander Stove Works. And about 10 years ago, I was on eBay, just trolling around on eBay, and I saw a calendar from Norris Ford. A lady in Texas went to a yard sale, and she purchased a box of Women's Day magazines for a quarter. <laughs> and she took the box home, and she opened it up, and in the bottom of the box is this calendar over a hundred years old from Rorus Ford and so she takes and she puts it on eBay I saw it for ten dollars my heart was pounding <laughs> I bid on it and we got it now oh, the original awesome. the original calendar is in uh, archival paper and it's 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 encased and it's up on the third floor that is an exact copy same wow. size but that's a copy uh, you never know with something that old or that valuable when somebody might take a page or right. it might just get sold or just being out here in, a, in the elements. Yeah, yeah in the elements, it's, it's going to deteriorate. Right. So we, we preserve the original, that's a copy. That's awesome. Uh, and it, it's amazing because John Milton Lewin, after he sold the shoe shop, the new owner eventually it went bankrupt and he went back and bought it at a sheriff's sale for pennies on the dollar had a grand reopening, and he published the archives of Roars Ford for the grand reopening, 1898. This is a calendar that they also handed out. So he, he took the store back over again after he <laughs> owned the, the stove works, and he was more successful. He came back and salvaged his original shoe shop. So it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, for sure. We had considered getting Dr. Brower's sleigh reconditioned, but then it wouldn't be original. Right. It, it's it's original now, and we didn't mess with it. And it was going to cost like three thousand dollars to to do it. And what are they going to do? Rip rip it out and make it all, you know, a reproduction. This is the original. And I I tell the kids that come in that back in the winter when we had enough snow to pull a sleigh for six months out a year or yeah. five months out a year and you got sick the doctor would get in his sleigh and come to your house and do a house visit and i said nowadays things have changed i said they don't come to the house yeah and we don't have enough snow to, to have a horse pull a sleigh around all winter long but uh whether you believe in global warming or not that doesn't matter but the, the fact of the matter is that in the past hundred years the climate here has changed. We have less freezing, less snow, and 
the, the canal would freeze up in October or November and it would be frozen till March. Wow. And that was why the railroad, when the railroad came through in 1839 and they took the, the business away from the canal, it wasn't because it was cheaper. It was because it, it ran all year long yeah. and it was faster. So it was, it was, it was progress. And the, the canal, which seemed so promising, uh, was doomed to, to an end. Now, eventually, right. eventually the railroad bought, bought the canal for a short period of time and, and owned the canal. Uh, the tokens that they had, meal tokens, when you rode the boat, canal yeah. boat, you had a token to get your meal. And there was a stop in Spring City where you could get off the canal boat and give them a token and get your meal. And I only ever saw one of them on eBay, and I wanted that in a worse way. That's yeah. a historic. Uh, yeah. Pen Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Reading, wasn't Pennsylvania, Philadelphia yeah. and Reading Railroad token to ride on a canal boat. And I, I bid on that, and it went for $235. Oh, no, my no, word. Another one of my lost clauses. <laughs> What do they call it? The one that got away, right? Yeah, the one that got away. <laughs> now, Dr. Brower, was he the only doctor in the area? Well, he was the main doctor. Yeah. And there were there were more than, you know, you go back then, there was more than, than one doctor. Yeah. Dr. Heckle, Dr. Brower. There were a lot of doctors. I don't want but Dr. Brower happens to be the one that we ended up having With the sleigh. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the second floor sure. of the house, uh, we have a room dedicated to doctors and we have all the different stuff that has been given to us uh, by the by the doctors in both Spring City and Morris Ford. Oh, okay. uh, obsolete medical equipment, yeah. you know. But uh, here we have an assortment. There's a lot of Lakeview stuff right there. We talked about Lakeview. That's some of their uh, things that have been uh, donated. But as you can see, when you look at the, the, the collection of stuff that we have, it's just... Not necessarily what you would buy to put in a museum, but it's yeah. it's what people bring in and give to us. Uh, here we have all this the, the cash register and the the cabinet from the old uh, Latchaw Bakery in in Spring City, which is a well known bakery, and it was there for years and years. And uh, many people remember it. And there's a picture of it when it opened. Beautiful color color picture. I think Dave Willauer gave that. He's on the board. I think he gave that to us. And uh, he's a, a member of the family. I mean, he's, a, you know, he's, he's... Yeah. Where does... Uh, what stands in that place now, do you know? The, it's still there. Oh, is it really? It's, it's there. Oh, it's still oh, there. Wow. You can drive by and take a picture of it, but it's it's closed. It's, oh, okay. They, they, they've kept it intact. I, I guess maybe apartments, but it's not open for business. Yeah. It's, it's been closed for a long time. Uh, and uh, the Freed Hotel, Roarsford Borough Hall, sits where the Freed Hotel sat. Oh, wow. The Freed Hotel was one of the finest hotels in Montgomery County back in 1906. I have a magazine article; it was in a Philadelphia paper about the Freed Hotel. The, that, that's the Freed Hotel in the back. That's a bell. A spit tune <laughs> and the, the cash register. The cash register of the Freed Hotel, uh, we ended up getting that. Uh, it was given to us by one of our former uh, members who passed away, and he was a water meter man. He used to go around Roar's Ford 
and he saw that in somebody's basement and he asked if he could have it and they told him, oh no, they were keeping it. And then years later, they were moving to Florida and he, he came by to read the water meter and just by chance, it was sitting out with a trash. Oh, thing weighs word. about 90 pounds. Wow. And he said, what are you doing with that? Oh, we're moving to Florida. We can't take it with us, so we put it out for the trash. He said, well, remember, I asked you if I could have it. And they said, well, it's your lucky day. <laughs> so he took it home. Oh, he treasured that. He, yeah. had, he had that sitting in his uh, dining room on the cabinet there, the, the, wow. whatever you call it. Uh, but he had that right in his dining room. That was his pride and joy. And then after his wife died, he came over here one day and he said, I'd like to donate this to the, to the museum. So he, he, uh, he donated the cash register, but they, they, they tore the hotel down in 1928 and they built a bank. Yeah. And then when the bank went out of business, it was a substantial building. The Borough Hall, Roars Ford Borough purchased that building where the, the, the bank is and now it's the Borough Hall. Yeah. But originally, it, it was a hotel. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's that's the beautiful part about history. Yeah. When when you know about the town, and you drive around, you'll look at one building, and in the back of your head, oh, I know what that used to look like. Or you go across the cement bridge. I remember the two. Uh, I remember what what it used to look like: the iron bridge and the two covered bridges. But, but if you don't know about it, and you know, so the more you know. You know, I mean, I guess it's, it's kind of frightening if you go to a doctor and he looks at you because he's he's looking at you differently than, <laughs> you, you know. Like, I remember what that used to look like. <laughs> Your hair used to be darker and... <laughs> but uh, but all, all of these all, all of these things are, are things that, and it runs a gamut, you know. Yeah. Wooden bowling balls from, from a bowling lane that was here in Norris Ford and yard sticks and, you, you know, um, Milk bottles, yeah. people remember getting milk in glass bottles, and and that, that's a whole, that's a whole thing there. Your milk bottles is a whole collection. People collect milk bottles. I have them at home, and they, they, milk bottles can be uh, really uh, expensive. Some of them get up to hundred dollars, and if you're collecting the Spring City bottles, there's sixteen of them that are embossed. So, yeah, want to get all sixteen? I got twelve. <laughs> I, I I have twelve. I could I could have 14, but two of them I passed on because they were too much money. I didn't yeah. want to spend the money. Um, Bill, this has been a great um, for a layman like myself or a transplant to hear all of this history. And I'm sure we've only scratched the surface. But uh, as we wrap up, why don't you let people know about the books that you've written, so that if they want to find out more, um, they can they can acquire those, and then if obviously let people know about how they can get in touch with the historical society. I hope you want the long version. That's right. <laughs> you're going to you're going to edit. Yeah. It. Uh, the, the the books go back to 2002, and my son uh, came up for a birthday present, and he gave me a book by Vinnie Martino uh, about Phoenixville, and it was published by Arcadia. And he says, Dad, he said, you need to do one of these books for Spring City. I said, Chuck. I said. I'm not the person, I said, I, you know, I, I'm not a scholar, I said, I, I don't know if I have all the history information, <laughs> I said, he said, well, you got your postcard collection, I said, yeah, I have pictures of postcards, I said, I said, I just, I just don't know, I said, I, I think it would be better off somebody over at the museum 
did the book. He said, well, they've been talking about that for years. Nobody ever did it. <laughs> so then in January, now we're moving in, into, uh, my, my birthday was in January in 2003. Uh, Vinny's book came out the year before. I wrote a letter to Arcadia, and I asked them if I could do a, a, a book about Spring City. And they said, well, we need to have a 500-word narrative, uh, 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 you know, es essay or whatever you want to call yeah. it. So I sat down, I wrote a 500-word essay on why I should do a book on Spring City, and I mailed it in. And a, a girl who was the editor at that time called me on the phone, Aaron. She called me on the phone. She says, oh, Mr. Bruner, I'm so sorry. She said, Spring City's too small. We can't do a book. I said, oh. I said, well, okay. She said, your essay was fine, but she said, we, we, we can't do a book. <coughs> that was it. I said to my wife, I said, well, I'm not doing a book. Yeah. No, no big deal. About two weeks later, she calls me back on the phone. She says, Mr. Bernard, did you ever hear of Norris Ford? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I went to school in Norris Ford. I said, Spring City and Norris Ford are right across the river. They're the twin boroughs. They've, yeah. been, they've been linked together for years. Well, she said, my boss sat at a map, and he says to call that man up and tell him if he does Spring City and Norris Ford, we'll let him do a postcard history book. <laughs> but it's got to be half Spring City and half Norris Ford. There's no problem. The book has 250 pictures in. Half of them are Roars Ford. Half of them are Spring City. 90% of them are postcards. 10% of them are photographs. This is the format that you follow. I wrote a book. You have to write a narrative with 50 to 75 words under each picture. You put two pictures to a page. The chapter, you pick the chapters, will have one photograph on. You'll write a narrative at the beginning of the book. I mean, it's so formatted that a lot of authors couldn't stick to that. Yeah. But for somebody like myself, I don't really consider myself an author. I'm a, I'm a picture book man. Yeah. <laughs> this has just fit me to a T. Yeah. I take all my postcards, pick out the best ones, come over here to the museum and do all the research and put together a book. So I did the first book. Uh, a postcard history series, Spring City and Roars Ford, a postcard history series. And they only, to start out with, they only printed like uh, 4,000 uh, books. And they sold them out. It was it was remarkable. They sold them out in, in, in about a month. And they contacted me and they said, we're going to reprint. And they reprinted. And they reprinted it three or four times. And now, I, I don't know what the total number is, but now it's, they reprint with their technology, they reprint on demands. When they get orders for 200 books, they reprint it. Yeah. So if they don't have it in stock and there's no more there and they got an order for 200, they reprint it. So there's no such thing as it goes out of print. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you could go to uh, Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you can still buy the book. We, we sell it here. So I did my first book and it was very successful <coughs> and I was very happy. And then they contacted me and said, we want you to do another book. Nope. I said, look, I put all my best pictures, my best, I, I did, I, I gave it my heart. My yeah. heart's in that book. It was a success, not a Harry Potter success, yeah. but it was a Spring City success. Yeah. I ain't doing any more. And they said, well, you could do a then and now book. I said, then and now. They said, yeah, you take your old picture and then you take a picture yourself and you put it together on a page, then and now. I said, oh, that's interesting. But if you do the bank or you do the railroad station, you just need to make sure that your 
old picture isn't the same one that you used in the book before. I said, oh, I could do that. But I said, I don't really have enough good pictures. Subject closed for a while. Then we had a guy from Pottstown come in here to the museum. I wasn't here the day that he came. <clears throat> and he had a big box of glass plate negatives. He had 125 glass plate negatives. And he sat them on the table. And Carolyn Federoff, our museum director, she said, what's this? Oh, he said, these aren't no good. These are useless. He said, these are, these are old pictures from Spring City and Roar's Ford. Who would want them? And she said, well, we, we would like to have them. <laughs> he says, I, I'm from Pottstown. I went to an auction. I bought 600 glass plate negatives by a man named Horace Heaston, Spring City resident. <laughs> and he said, I sold them to another guy for a dollar apiece. He says, I sold them for $600. He says, I made a lot of money. He says, and then the guy had the nerve to come back and put a box on the table and tell me that he didn't want them and he wanted $125 back. And he, Carolyn said, well, did you give it to him? He said, well, yeah. He says, he, he brought them back. He, he said, I still had the rest of the money. He says, I don't want them. He said, nobody wants them. He said, I'm bringing them down <coughs> and giving them, giving them to you. <laughs> and she said, well, that's great. So I looked through them, and I took nine of them up to the Arab camera shop, and I got them developed, and they were $10 a piece. And it cost, oh my cost me 90 bucks. And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have these pictures, but I'm not paying $1,000 to, to get them developed. And uh, so they sat for two more years, and then I went to a Rotary Club meeting. That they give out the money for the pancake breakfast, and I run into... Glenn Holcomb, and he, he's a professional photographer, and he just moved upstate a couple of years ago. And he said, Bill, you do wonderful work over at the museum. If there's ever anything I could do to help you, let me know. I said, Glenn, <laughs> you're, you're, you're just the guy I'm looking for. I says, I got 128 glass plate negatives. I said, I only got nine of them developed. I need to get the rest of them done. He said, I'll do them for you. So we, we took them over to, he was still on Lewis Road. Took them over there and he processed them. Now, a four and a half by five inch glass plate negative gives you one big resolution picture. Gives you a great photograph. Oh, wow. So I had 128 photographs. They were all taken at the same period of time, from 1920 to 24. They were all taken by Horace Heaston. I have the feeling that the guy that bought them at auction took out the trolley pictures and the train pictures because they should have been in there yeah. and they weren't. But nonetheless... It was a treasure. It yeah. was a treasure. And I started looking at them, and I started scratching my head, and I called up Arcadia, and I said, remember two years ago when you wanted me to do a Now and Then book? I said, I could do one for you now. <laughs> and they said, can you? I said, yeah. I said, I got new pictures in, new old pictures from the yeah. 20s that nobody ever saw before. And I did the Then and Now book. And I, that was 2007. I said, that's it. Two books, I'm done. <laughs> in 2014, one of the original founders of Arcadia called me on the phone, and he remembered me from the two books that they published. And he says, I started a brand new book company called Font Hill. He says, I would like for you to do a book for me for Font Hill. I said, oh, I said, look, I said, I put all the now and then pictures in one book, 
and I put all my postcards in another book. What, what am I going to do? <laughs> what am I? I said, I, I, I can't do another book on Spring City and Norris Ford. He said, yeah, he said, you could do another one. He said, now, think of this. He said, you like color pictures. He said, you can make all the pictures color if you want, or as many as you want to be color. You don't have to do a format. You can put them in any way you want, any number of chapters you want, any length of narrative you want, no, no restrictions. He says, I trust you. You do what you want. I said, well, I said, I don't even have a title. I'll give you a title. He said, we'll call it Through Time. Spring City and Norris Ford, through time. <laughs> oh, I said, I like that. That's yeah. a nice title. I said, I can put in single pictures, like a picture of Pierre Bazalian, a French-Canadian fur trapper that lived in Spring City <laughs> back in the late 1600s. Well, it's a painting. It's not yeah. a... Not a yeah, well, I had a lot of paintings that I wanted to... You do whatever you want. I said, oh, my God. I said, I, I think <laughs> I, got, I got to do a third book. <laughs> and so I sat down, and no time restraint, take as long as I want. I did the third book called Through Time, and that came out, it's hard for me to believe, it came out in December 2014. So even my new book is old. Wow. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I would tell people is there's nothing wrong with the 2007, the Heaston book, nothing yeah. wrong with that. If you want to know the detailed history, all the pictures that are in that postcard book are old pictures. The postcard era was from 1905 to 1915. They're all old pictures. And you get the old history of, of, of Spring City and Roars Ford. If you just want a coffee table book, the then and now book, now and then. Yeah. If you want the best that I have with all color photographs, get the through time book. And the, the through time book, uh, th that's still everywhere. You can still buy it anywhere. We sell it here. We sell it for $20. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's been, uh, there's no, I, I say this right now, no way <laughs> is there going to be any more books. Uh -huh. I, I have books up here that I, I did uh, using Shutterfly, and I have okay. matchbook cover books. And, Pictures of Roars, Ford, and Springs. I have a lot of yeah. nice books that are one-of-a-kind yeah. books, you know. You can't buy them off, right. off the shelf. But the Ar Arcadia... Uh, and then what even became better for me is uh, the guy that was originally part owner of Arcadia and formed uh, <coughs> Font Hill sold Font Hill back to Arcadia. <laughs> and so now... If you go to, if we order them, they're all ordered from Arcadia. It's now, it's, it's, a, it's an Arcadia book through marriage because yeah. he got rid of the business and sold it back to Arcadia. Right. That's good. I, uh, so the best way for people to get the book are either, is either here or they can go on Amazon? They, they, oh, they can go on Amazon and buy it. They can go to Barnes and Noble and buy it. They can come here and buy it. If they come here, I'll sign it. And I'll talk to them until they can't listen to me, to them, <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll go out of the door. But no, we we sell it here. All three books are the same price here. Yeah. They're, they're twenty dollars, and when you buy your book here, a substantial amount of that twenty dollars goes to the historical society. You're given a gift to the yeah. historical society. Uh, I've seen the book on on Amazon. I've seen it on eBay. Uh, really? <laughs> oh, I seen it on eBay, and I've seen the book on eBay. Uh, as low as five dollars and as high as thirty, 
you know, you, you take your pick. Right. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's all over the place on eBay because that's the way eBay is. But we would love to sell yeah. your book. Yeah, Don't definitely come to, the, and it's a reason to come to the Historical Society to see all the artifacts. And I mean, artifacts see, makes it sound like it's like yeah. ancient, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the different history. And, and if they come on the first Sunday, they'll get to talk to me. If yeah, they, the right. William C. Bruner. Right, right. So, come, come and see. While it's available. Yeah, that's come, right. Come, come, come get me while I'm available. <laughs> We're all getting old. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't want, I want to say this, but uh, being uh, with the Historical Society is the one thing that makes me feel younger because everybody's in their 80s. Yeah. And if you, if, you surround your, kid, right? if you surround yourself with people that are old enough, it makes you feel like you're a little young. That's funny. <laughs> you know, well, that's, the cool thing is, is now now that we've documented this, it's yeah. it's going to be around for a long time. Around. So people will be able to refer back to this video for as long as YouTube will hold it on there, which is forever. So, forever. yeah, we have a we have a website that, that started by Andrew Messer in Spring City like ten years ago, and he moved to California, and he still has the website. And I end up emailing him update information like the new the new members yeah. and, and the schedule and stuff. But the website it basically stayed the same, and I'm under pressure now to, to start our own website. And I completely handled the Facebook 100%, and now I'm dealing with the prospects of, of starting a, a website. So I'm not sure. I have a volunteer, uh, Dave Willauer, who perfectly capable. He, you know, he used to be the Roars Ford school principal, and he, uh, of course, he's got his church that he, he runs. But he is uh, fully capable and offered to, to help start a website. So we may, we may be doing that. Oh, that would be great. But the, the thing of it is, um, uh, just my personal remarks yeah. about websites, I mean, Phoenixville has a website, and they have great pictures, and every one of them has white, what we call watermarks, it says Phoenixville Historical right across the picture. And that makes my blood boil. Yeah. Because... Every picture, every photograph that we have here is for the public. Yeah. If you say to me, Bill, I want a picture of the, of the chapel out at, at Limerick, I'll go to the printer and I'll print you one. You pay 25 cents for the paper, for the print, yeah. but we're not charging you for the picture. If you want to look at my pictures, you can look at them for free on Facebook, and there's no watermarks in front. Yeah. And uh, uh, another friend of mine, a good friend, uh, and we've become good friends, but when I first met him, I knew he had a lot of great old photographs. I said, look, I said, I'd like to copy your photographs. He says, I know you. He says, you're going to copy the photographs. And then they're going to be in your newsletter. They're going to be, they're going, they're going. I, I said, you bet. Yeah. And, you know, about four or five years later, um, he come over here one day. And we knew each other now for a while. And he said, Bill. He says, I'm going to let you copy my pictures. I, I scanned them <laughs> as quick as I could. Oh, yeah. Before he changed it, I yeah. scanned them and gave them back to him. And, and that's what I, I, I like to tell people, that if, if you have an old photograph, you don't have to give us the photographs. Just bring it in and let us scan it, and, yeah. and then we'll, we'll have it for yeah, future yeah. generations, you know. And we, we get boxes of photographs with no names on them. You've got to write your name on the back of the photograph. <laughs> but uh, he gave me the photographs. And do you know that one of his photographs is in 
the, the, the latest book that yeah. I did. And a lot of his photographs have been in the newsletters, and he's gradually come to mind that he, we share stuff. Yeah. Now, if, if I had, uh, if we had a website, uh, the, the, the one that we have now, the old one, uh, has photographs on. You, you can look at about 200 photographs. If, if we were to open up a new website, we would put a lot more. We've had newsletters since 1988. We've had newsletter inserts that I've been doing for over 15 years. The inserts, each one of them, is a valuable piece of information. When we first got the website, Andrew asked if we could put some newsletters on. We put them on. But then when I got to think about it, I said, I'm not sure I want to share the newsletters. I, it's the same vein as information, but this is what our people to shell out $15 a year. <laughs> they're getting four newsletters, which I spend a lot of time doing, and they're getting the four public programs, and they're getting to come over here. But I don't want to just give away everything. Well, yeah, because that's a, that's a prime source of how you guys can sustain yeah. you know, the operations here. So. Yeah, for yes, sure. and so, but that that that's a, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. This okay. has been a pleasure, and I'm very excited. All of the links I'll make sure are below the video, so people can click out to check out the the current website, the Facebook page. They can follow so right. that they can see those photos that you're yeah. posting on a regular basis. And and the big thing on on, on Facebook is like when they look it up, when you type it in, it's spring hyphen forward. forward, spring forward the hyphen. Somebody else years ago, I don't know who it is, started up a Facebook page called Springford Area Historical Society. I, to my, I've never, <laughs> been, never been able to find out who did it. Really? But, but now you can't claim the name. I, I can't, yeah. I can't. Well, I don't want the name. Yeah. It's wrong. Yeah. The hyphen belongs yeah. in there. But I can't get rid of it. So from time to time, somebody will say, oh, I'm going to, they're on Facebook, and they'll type in Springford, and they don't put the hyphen in. They don't get to the page. Right. And I, fa Facebook is very annoying that way. And that <laughs> if, if you don't know what you're doing, good luck. Yeah, you're, you're going to find that. You're you, going to you, find you, something you didn't intend to find. And, yeah. You, you, I don't know if anybody has a Facebook degree. If, if, <laughs> if I found somebody that had one, I'd have them over for, for dinner and, and pick their mind <laughs> on a few, few things that, uh, you know, that it does that I don't want it to do. And uh, I used to get uh, email notifications. Somebody made a remark on one of my posts, and my wife would go to, we, we have the same email. Yeah. And she would go on, there'd be 30, she'd go, oh man, you're, you're damn Facebook. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it stopped. And I, I didn't get them anymore. And I said, well, there's some kind of a notifications, and they somehow got turned off, but I didn't do it. I don't think my, maybe my wife did it. Yeah. But I said, I don't know how to turn them back on. But what that means is I have to every day go back in and look very thoroughly at everything that I posted the day before because if somebody has a question, I like to answer it. Yeah. And so it makes a little more work for me. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I, yeah I, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I know enough, but I don't know enough to do, do everything. Yeah. No, but it's great. I mean, you're you're definitely actively posting and everything, and I, I have it come up in my news feed, so I, I'm getting a kick out of it. You know, just seeing all the, the then and nows that you put up and, and all the different sites of the location. Oh, yeah. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you're, you're, you're it. Welcome. I'd like to keep talking, but I think no, I'm about to run out of I'm video. Gonna take, so. I'm going to take my mic off. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to call it quits. Well, thank you so much.
Well, that's it. The first season of Discover Spring Ford is complete. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have supported this show in its first season. I had no idea what to expect when I set out on this journey of discovery. And now I truly feel like I am no longer a transplant, but I'm a local. I live in Royersford, and I love Spring City, Royersford, Limerick, and Upper Providence Townships like they are my hometown. And I can't express to you how grateful I am to see people continue to like the show, continue to share it, and support it. And I encourage you to do that. As we go on hiatus for the summer, don't worry, we will be back. There will be more stories to tell about those who live, work, eat, and explore the Springford area. And hopefully, you will continue to tune in. Until next season, get out there and discover what makes the Springford area a great place to live, work, eat, and explore. <laughs>